0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com dot com slash four keys. Use the number four K E Y S. That's unmistakablecreative.com dot com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: It's important to not just repeat, obviously, what your parents have taught you, right? Like there's there's a real benefits and, and there's real gifts to be had by breaking some cycles, but also understanding like why was that cycle there in the first place, which I think is what you you were, you know, talking about with your parents. And then breaking the cycle, but also help the older generation understand and say, I know that you want me to do this because this is where you come from. But in the end, right, like they don't want us to, you know, work ourselves to the bone because they did. And they don't want, you know, um us to, to, to cling on, you know, to, to safety for the rest of our life, like, you know, not completely fulfilling our purpose in life simply because they had to break, make some, some really bold decisions to secure their safety, right? It's that they want us to thrive. So we need to define what that means for us. And then, like, sort of, you know, I think we all have at least an attempt to help them understand and say, I actually, and receiving the legacy that you want to pass on, but it doesn't look the way that you would think it needs to, you know, that, that you think it needs to look like. And and those can be really deeply transformational conversations. And of course sometimes it doesn't work, right? They'll just like no yeah!
0: I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who started movements, built thriving businesses, written best selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500 episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com.
2: Meryl, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us.
1: I'm so excited to be here.
2: It is my pleasure to have you here. I found out about you, I think, through either way of Cher Hale or the people at Podcast Alley. Uh, Usually Cher is kind of the one and only referral source that I never say no to. I don't think I've ever said no to her um, because she's so good at what she does and so good at vetting people.
1: Uh, She's like integrity. Yeah.
2: Oh, no. I mean, I every time I have a friend who's like, who should I hire to get myself on podcasts? I was like Cher Hale. She's the only person I never say no to. And I say no to nine out of 10 people.
1: Well, I am I'm lucky. <laughs> I'm
2: well, lucky. you hired Cher. Cher, Cher, <laughs> Cher, Cher actually I hired podcast out. LA. I hired the, uh,
1: the other ones. Okay. And she works first. with
2: them. I believe she works with them, <laughs> if I remember correctly. So I either job. that or she's done some work with them. Anyways, yes. it is absolutely my pleasure to have you here. So I found out about your work. And when I saw the results in income that people were getting on your page, I was just like, okay, you know what? I have to find out about this. Like, what the hell is behind all of this? <laughs> like, what is this
1: thing?
2: Uh, but before we get into all of that, uh, since we're talking about work, I wanted to start asking you: What did your parents do for work, and how did that end up shaping what you've ended up doing with your life and your career?
1: Oh, I just I've look, I've looked forward to this question. So um, I think, first of all, I just want to say I come from a family where it's like we have artists in the family, psychics, mediums, Rosicrucian high priestesses, astrologers, so. It's a very different kind of family um, than most people, and so creativity was sort of the um was expected so instead of my parents going like, "Well, you're going to be a dentist like your dad or you know a lawyer or whatever right um it, it was very much expected for me to have a creative profession and um and sort of like now as an entrepreneur, I'm almost like rebelling. I was <laughs> talking to my dad the other day and I'll, I'll tell you in a second what he does and what my mom does, but I was talking to my dad and he was like, apparently like, yeah, making millions is fun and all, but you know, really you're an artist, right? It would be a total waste of your life. If you don't make that like sort of the, the focal point of what you do, like, okay, I think entrepreneurship is actually really creative, but <laughs> not sure that you're going to ever understand that. Um, so yeah, my, my dad, um, although he is a, he's a very creative person, he um, analyzes um, uh, sort of like the benefits that people um, can ask for, or the, the what do you call it, like looking for the English words, because Dutch, and of course he works in Dutch, but basically he works together with doctors, so that when people go on disability, um, he and the doctor together analyze like what kind of, you know, disability they can go on or whether they should still work or work part-time or what they're capable of. So it's very, very much, um, it's very analytical. It's very, uh, very much like listening, seeing possibilities, helping people see possibilities. It's almost like probably he's been coaching people like before it was even hot, you know, that like, it's, it's very like the skills that he taught me and the way that he talked about people and how he worked with people. I used to this day as a business mentor, for sure. Then my mom, um, she's actually the inspiration for for what I do today because she is so incredibly talented. Uh, She's an interior designer, um, like creates these incredible homes and she was never able to turn it into money. So she was officially a stay-at-home mom, Um, but really, right, she's just like a magician with spaces. And... To see her not able to turn it into money and then to enter the realm of opera singing myself, right? Like, to go be an artist, Meryl, right? So I studied opera singing, had a career, all the things. And then sort of realized, like my mom, like my grandma, I like my, like, what? Right, all the way back, um, I stem from a lineage of women that just don't seem to actually fully, you know, fulfill the potential and monetize their skills. So being pregnant at that time, I literally like swore an oath to my unborn child to not pass that on. And I'm very excited to report that we definitely broke that cycle with uh, where where I was able to take my business.
2: Wow. That's such an unusual sort of uh, narrative, particularly for parents giving advice to their children. I mean, I've had a handful of uh people who are raised by artists and even their own parents are like, don't pursue a career. Don't in the do arts. It. Yeah. And I I know this, you know, because uh, you mentioned you're an opera singer. I was almost a music major in college. My dad had the good sense to talk me out of it because tuba players are, you know, one in every orchestra. And you basically have to yeah. wait for somebody to die for a job to open up. And oh you know God. that as an opera singer. So... A couple of different things, I mean, you know, I just finished reading this book called Quarter Life, which was all about this sort of challenge that young people have, uh, you know, trying to find this balance between meaning and stability, and they either go, you know, they go in one extreme, mm-hmm. you know, they yeah. pursue extreme stability, which means they have these stable jobs, they make a lot of money, and they hate their lives, or they pursue meaning, and they have this sort of idea that, oh, my life is full of passion, but it's a giant mess in every other way. Yeah. Um, so as somebody who was raised with this kind of narrative, how did you figure out what that balance is between meaning and stability?
1: Oh, I love this question. Um, well, for me, stability is really important, you know, especially being, um, the mother to three very young daughters. And, um, my, my husband is a lot older than I am and he, he had a long opera career that was very fulfilling but also financially very unrewarding um so there's there's a lot of um financial responsibility that i carry uh, for myself for him for for our children um so stability is something that for me actually helps me then focus on what gives me meaning When the stability feels wonky, right? I feel sort of just like, oh no, I need to, I need to tend to the stability first in order for me to, like, I'm not one of those artists or creative people who like uh, thrives in the chaos or something. And I think there, there's always a a sense of chaos when you're an entrepreneur. Like it's different every day and you never know what you're going to encounter and like all those things. And I love that. But, um, it's sort of, you know, I think it's very easy to to hate on the stability, but I sort of, yeah, I don't know. Like it, they they go so beautifully together. When I think of, um, you know, how much money we've been able to make, it's also because, you know, my husband took on this role of of CFO in our company, and he works with this um this app. It's called You Need a Budget. I don't know if you know it. Why not and we work with a financial coach, and the fact that he so exquisitely manages our money makes me feel safe enough to say, okay, things are taken care of. Now I can go create like my mind castles and create new offers and create like wealth poetry and and stuff like that, right? So, sort of just making sure that the, that the the basis is taken care of, and and then. And then slide, and then I think you know, for me, there's always fascination with, um, you know, my own risk tolerance, which I think is 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 really where we can create a lot of magic in our lives, right? So it's like, can I can I be ten times more courageous today than I really feel I am? And um and and with that idea of ten x courage, like who would I reach out to? What would I say? What would I post? Who would I follow up with? You know, where would I pitch myself and my business, right? So, and I find that it's harder to do when I know things are a little bit messy in the back end.
2: Now, I want to come back to the idea of risk tolerance. Um, one of the things that I am curious about, you mentioned that you're in this family of astrologers and spiritual teachers, it sounds like. And I always wonder if people like you are exposed to sort of spiritual teachings and self-improvement type material at an early age. And I wonder if that, you know, makes you immune to all the other bullshit that most of us deal with before we go to therapy when we're 30-something years old. Because I've heard two sides of this coin. People are like, oh, yeah, having a therapist as a parent will fuck you up more than, you know, not. <laughs> yeah.
1: it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, I was in therapy by the time I was eight and uh, for obsessive-compulsive. Um, all kinds of stuff, and i didn 't really leave therapy and then while I was in therapy, I developed anorexia, but hid it from my therapist because at that point, I was what my dad calls therapy resistant so it was I was so cunning um to just you know rep these um, therapists and psychoanalysts and stuff around my little finger that um yeah they just you know they couldn't um, it couldn't actually help me anymore. Um, obviously I didn't want to be helped as well, right? I was, I was more interested in hiding. I mean, anorexia, right? In essence is an addiction. Um, so I, I had a, an interest in people not discovering that that was going on for me. And, um, and then I had no therapist for about 20 years. Um, also really, you know, with this belief that my dad ingrained that, you know, your therapy resistant is not going to work for you anymore. And then actually, I started therapy this spring and, um, and, and really realizing that, you know, it's my, I like, it's not whether they are a good therapist or not. It's like my level of honesty that I can have with myself and sort of coming clean with what's really going on for me that creates the breakthroughs. So I've been doing some very, very courageous opening up about some of the things that happened in my past and how that affected me. Um, but just to go back to your question, um, I think, like, for me, the the experience, like, also being in the online space is that some people are, like, raving about, like, certain self-development tools and certain things where, for me, that is, like, normal, right? So it's not, it doesn't feel as, like, fancy or exciting or alluring or you know like it's it's just like oh that's that's normal right I was reading like Freud and Jung when I was like 15 and right it's just like I don't know like this is a little different um am I jaded am I um I think more than anything if I'm if I'm really like digging into this where I see so many people really wanting to take all kinds of like certification programs and stuff like that. I think I really trust my own sort of like mentorship and coaching abilities, my listening skills, um, my ability to sort of really quickly identify what's really going on, what they're really saying. I'm like hyper aware of like language patterns and tone of voice and body language and, you know, it's just something that I've been mastering over the course of decades. You know, um, you know, you were talking about your diagnosis, but I have um, obviously a bunch of stuff going on for myself, but also my siblings all went to uh, special, special need kids schools. And, um, and, and they were, well, we're all a little bit special, like really highly sensitive, but also, right, like uh, diagnosed fear disorders and being on the spectrum and all kinds of things. And and I think that more so than my therapy experiences and, you know, just being the kid of, of parents that went through some really hard stuff growing up and how that impacted them, it was being around people who are, you know, neurodivergent, right, as my norm, that sort of made me who I am today and the way that I listen and the way that I see people and the way that I'm, you know, very often sort of able to, to sort of look through the bullshit that they're throwing out and, and just like, go, like, oh, no, you're one of those or like, oh, no, this is what's going on. Yeah.
2: So how has having parents like that and siblings like that influenced your own parenting and the way that you're raising your daughters?
4: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Wow.
0: Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds.
1: you know, before we become parents, um, I had a, I had a couple of years there in my 20s where it was like, my parents did this wrong, and did this wrong, and this we could have done better, right? And then you have kids and then you go like, oh, shit, like bre- breaking cycles and doing things differently than the generations before me is is almost impossible. I was like hearing myself say things and do things where I'm like, oh, <laughs> no, and it was just impossible to uh, to stop. And, um, so, you know, I instantly had like so much more compassion for my parents. And since then I, I, you know, very, been very vocal to them and, and, you know, my, my friends are still, they've had just like such a rough start in life, um, which we can go into or not, I'll leave it up to you, but you know, they're, they're struggling with things like addiction and, and it's just, it's hard. You're having a hard time. And so I really, um made it made an effort to just say like i think you got did such an amazing job because these people um you know they created worlds of of like pure magic for our, for us kids like they you know my dad built an entire like little wooden house with like multiple stories and, and um i grew up in in close to arnhem which is um if you know bridge too far like the you know second world war like movie or what do you call it like world war two movie and um I, I basically grew up on the dead bridge so there was always like tons of like ammunition that we found on our walks and then like my brother and my dad started doing like metal detecting would bring all kinds of stuff and and we kids would play with that safe or unsafe i think my parents sometimes were like oh oh wait maybe we should call like the <laughs> right the service that comes in and make sure that like nothing explodes and right but it was just like this this magical realm of like forests and and historical reenactment that we were into and then reading books together and then sword fighting for months in the backyard and um our parents like supported our creativity so much like they would always make sure that we had fabrics and we could sew sew costumes and that we learned how to um you know make her own swords and her own bow and arrows and this was like before the internet right like we're talking 90s here um so yeah just like incredible incredibly grateful for what they were able to create so really i've been i've been telling them that you know also just saying like i know i know things have been hard but you are the perfect parents for me right just what you what you've been able to gift us is just beyond Right. And, and yes, there was a lot of brokenness, but sometimes we would sit around the table and, um, you know, the uh, Strauss would come on, like the, yeah, uh, let the leader, it's called the four last songs, like big orchestral, beautiful music and soprano uh, voice. And um, all of a sudden we would all be crying and we'd be sort of like, oh my God, it's a little bit like my dad just like full blown sobs and we would all hug. And, you know, so there's, I think, Creativity. If you, if you speak about creativity, I think creativity was like that one thing that you know the brokenness couldn't touch. You know the 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 sort of the complexity of like where they came from and how that impacted them and how that impacted their parenting and how it impacted us and all those things. but creativity was always something that we had that we could count on that we could, you know, we could find each other through. The creativity through music, through art, through creative self-expression, and still, like when you see the WhatsApp channel of my family, they have this. We we do WhatsApp together, and um, they call it like family. Kriegsland headquarters, out for tier. and um, yeah. it's like literally like, oh, I just finished this like massive embroidery project, and then the next one is like, oh, I just you know, I, I have my my first sort of, um, you know, bunch of paintings already for, for my first exhibition. And then it's like, it's it, it's just like art is our language, it's our love language.
2: Mm, I love that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do want to go into sort of the rough start. But it, it, it's funny because when you think of a comedian who said, you know, every mother places a curse on their child says, one day, I hope you have a child that's just like you. And that curse actually comes true. Yeah. And I've asked friends about this. Like, do you ever find yourself repeating the, the patterns of, of, you know, your own parents? And this is one of my best friends. He's like, yeah, come to think of it, all those things I said, I'd never say, you yeah. know, I find myself saying to my own daughter. Um, but yeah, I mean, you did mention a rough start. And, you know, it's funny because I, I, Realized even with my own parents, you know, being sort of this weird creative kid born into an Indian family, yeah. I always joked that I'm like God's sorting error, somehow getting placed with these people. Um, but I, after spending so much time understanding the context in which they formed yes. their worldview, which was, hey, our lives were either poverty or security, which is why we gave you the advice we yes. did. Yeah. Um, I, I, I started to really kind of see things with a perspective, and then I also realized I was like, wow, they literally started with nothing. They came to the you know, this country. And I'm like, wow, what you guys have done is nothing short of remarkable.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And you can. It's, I mean, it's very, very special when you start to realize that um, it's, yeah. it's like a magical moment. Um, yeah, I would say that for my parents, like my my dad and I just realized I have to lock myself into my computer It pick me up for some reason. Make sure I don't lose you here. There we go. I'm um, back. My father's father died very unexpectedly when he was 13 years old literally you know was playing upstairs and all of a sudden heard like this gut-wrenching like scream from his mother and he ran downstairs and she was on the floor next to the phone absolutely sobbing and you know her husband had died at 42 and um and she was she she never recovered you know, it was very, actually very, very moving, honestly. Um, when she was, you know, 80 years old and she was like a complete chain smoker. I don't even know how she got to 80, honestly. Um, but she was 80 years old and um, she had struggled with something in Dutch call a delirium. But it's like um, she became delirious. Like her, she was probably like a little dehydrated or something. And just, you know, she started seeing things and, and, and wasn't quite there with us anymore. She was in the hospital, and she had like throughout my childhood told me so many stories of of her husband and how kind he was and how how much of a gentleman and how he would how he would treat her and like she was in love with this man, right even like forty years after after he passed and so I started telling. Uh, stories back to her when well, she was in the hospital and she was, you know she was sort of there but not quite sort of almost like a child you know um and and just like yeah you know you you would always you know put on your coat and hold the door and and she said how do you know and then the next thing she she just started crying and she had her false teeth out and she she looked absolutely you know, like ridiculous but so beautiful and special. And she she started crying. She said, I love him. I miss him. You know, so so just like a tragic loss that she never recovered from. And so you know, the 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 effect of that was that my my dad had to become a man at age thirteen. You know, and 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 didn't have like really any parents um, you know, from that moment on. So that was hard, you know. He struggled with depression a lot, and sort of went that direction of security and stability. And you know, even though probably had he had a different start, he would have probably chosen a much more artistic profession than he did in the end. And I think he did choose a very creative profession in the sense that, you know, it was all about seeing the possibilities and helping people still find a way. Right, but it was uh, it was more of um more of a traditional job in, in that sense and then with my with my mom um her mother like we're quite sure had an undiagnosed uh postpartum depression that she never recovered from after her younger sibling was born then uh, the sibling after that um uh was very uh severely intellectually um what's the right word I'm, I I know it in dutch but she can you even say handicapped in dutch you can or used to when i grew up
2: <laughs> yeah. I who knows. I intellectually mean,
1: intellectually disabled, I think is the, the yeah. correct term. I want to make sure I say the right thing here. Uh, but she had the intellect of, you know, like a, a three year old basically. And and so my mom had massive caretaker responsibilities. A father that was just, you know, um I mean that's a whole other rabbit hole, but you know, couldn't couldn't be there emotionally for her. Her mother being completely emotionally unavailable, and then that family completely blowing up at like you know when she was fourteen, and like my dad, right, just like being basically put out on the street and not having any security, and so they sort of found each other, you know, and 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 said to each other, right, like we'll we'll start afresh, we'll start we'll start a new lineage, right, <laughs> and then of course, um, right, all the things bubble to the surface when you start having children, just like. My my experience and some of the stories that your friends have been sharing with you, right? It's um it's very hard not to repeat the past, but I think you know everything considering they did a really awesome job, and um, you know what I find now, what I really really love is that you know some of the really hard work that I've done in, in therapy since the spring, and uh, the healing work that I've been doing, and also healing the you know those generational chains of scarcity that have been going on for like you know many many generations, and the, the discord between mothers and daughters, like literally going back like at least four generations, probably right. Like we don't know what happened before that, but um, you know, making sure that it doesn't happen to my mom and, and myself, and hopefully me and my daughter. Um, yeah, you know, what was I gonna say? I'm just like picturing all my all my people here for a second um yes it's that when you do that healing it's not just that you heal yourself in the next generation the healing actually works retroactively as well right i think often we give up on our parents and sort of all well, you know it is what it is let's do better but like i had the most breathtaking conversation yesterday with uh, my mother and my sister on, on whatsapp you know over over the phone. And it was so incredibly inspiring and so incredibly healing. And we were all just bringing these, these, um, these gems of like experiences that we've had in the last few years and just talking about it and helping each other make sense. And so I think, you know, it's, it's important to not, not just repeat obviously what your parents have taught you, right? Like there's, there's a, a real, benefits and and there's real gifts to be had by by breaking some cycles, but also understanding like why was that cycle there in the first place, which I think is what you you were you know talking about with your parents. And then and then breaking the cycle, but also help the older generation understand and say, I know that you want me to do this because this is where you come from. But in the end, right, like they don't want us to you know work ourselves to the bone because they did and they don't want, you know, um us to 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 cling on, you know, to to safety for the rest of our life like, you know, not completely fulfilling our purpose in life simply because they had to break make some some really bold decisions to secure their safety, right? It's that they want us to thrive. So, we need to define what that means for us and then like sort of, you know, I think we all, have at least in the towns, help them understand and say, I actually am receiving the legacy that you want to pass on, but it doesn't look the way that you would think it needs to, you know, that, that you think it needs to look like. And and those can be really deeply transformational conversations. And of course, sometimes it doesn't work, right? They'll just like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: no! Um, yeah.
2: Wow let's talk briefly about your time as an opera singer and then we'll get into what you're actually doing today. Um, sure. I'm always fascinated by musicians, particularly because I know what goes into this just from my one attempt at trying to do it, um, you know, in high school after making all state band. I mean, I, to this day, I, I still think those lessons were invaluable. Yeah. Um, I got, you know, the habits of discipline practice to this day. My ninth grade band director, I always say he deserves far more credit than he'll ever get from what I've accomplished. Um, So how did this start for you? And then, you know, how in the world did you, you know, get into it? And then what are the habits, rituals, routines? Like, what are the things that you brought from that life to your life today that have been Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. instrumental?
0: Yeah. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.
1: I'd say not necessarily opera music but a lot of like you know orchestral works with boys um and um sacred music and uh, baroque music and then a little bit of opera thrown in there as well and um so i started singing along as a kid and it was like holy shit i'm really good at this so um you know i think it was 11 when i uh took my first singing lessons and I remember singing the Ave Maria by Schubert actually for my, for my, you know, widow grandmother. She was like, Meryl, can you sing that on my funeral? Like she was just, she loved it so much. And you know what? I did. I did sing that on her funeral. It was very, very special. It was like, I, I could keep it together. Sang absolutely, you know, amazingly. And then absolutely broke down after that. It's like, you know, that in in and of itself is skill, right? Like being able to, <laughs> to compartmentalize your, Emotions and still no matter what, right? Like show up and deliver, um, really at a really high quality level. And then, um, right. And then sort of go like, okay, now it's my turn to cry and, and then let go. Right. So, um, started at age 11. Um, obviously then I became very sick with uh, the food disorder. A few years where, um, you know, I thought I was never going to sing again. And I you know was losing the opportunity to have children, because you know I was, I had a lot of people who go through such severe like food disorders right like they they can't have kids, right like they just ruin their entire endocrine system, so I was very happy, very blessed that that didn't happen to me um but yeah, you know, so there were a couple of really rough years, and then uh, I picked it up again when I was about sixteen, and um just absolutely loved it, just you know it it's. It, for me, like I was just really good at it. you know, I could literally listen to something and then just do it, you know, I could sing it and um and that gave me such a tremendous sense of of freedom, you know, just like like emotional, just letting it rip right like fully expressing myself and um and so, took blessings again. Um, applied to being in the conservatory went through a bachelor's of, of um, you know, performing arts there they really tried to push me into becoming a teacher, which I think is what a lot of art schools do these days because they they know how hard it is to actually be a performer and make that work financially but i i never I never wanted to be a sing teacher. I absolutely suck at theory it's like it's it's like math to me I'm really bad at math um and so I, like, even with tutoring, I, I barely made it through. Um, I was already performing during university. So I would go to France. I would go to Belgium. I would go to, right, like, all these places. So I was sort of just pretending, like, all the other <laughs> subjects that I needed to study, like, didn't matter. And then I basically, like, just did everything that I, I should have done over the course of years, in about six weeks. Uh, right before I graduated. So it was a very stressful period. But I did it, graduated, and, um, and then they wanted me to do a master's. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do a master's. I just, you know, I moved to, um, to met my husband, who's also opera singer. And um, I moved in with him in Leipzig, which is a very, very musical city um, in the east of Germany, uh, where uh, Johann Sebastian Bach. So, you know, uh, John, I don't even know how he said it in English. We shouldn't be saying it in English. It's <laughs> a <laughs> German composer. But like lots of like very famous composers. Uh, there's a very famous orchestra there called the Gewandhaus. So I had like this this musical like, lifestyle for a few years there, which was absolutely amazing. I sang, you know, works in certain churches where those very works were premiered back in the day. I traveled to Rome, I did a competition there, issued by the Vatican, where I won third price. It was broadcasted like across the globe. So there was like some really big successes and, um, and I wasn't making any money, you know, <laughs> so, um, absolutely hated that because I love beautiful things and I love, I love luxury. And I mean, it was, it was great that, you know, I would say one of the things that my parents really taught me was how to create worlds of magic with you know, barely anything. Um, so we would go to you know flea markets and, and you know go get vegetables at the very end of the day, um, you know to the to the, at the market there um, to, to get discounts and we, we made it work. But we were living far far below the poverty level, and um, and that was fine until I got pregnant and I was literally riding my bike, cleaning houses. They didn't have a minimum wage at that point in east of germany so I was making five bucks seven bucks an hour and uh and i was just like yeah no i don't i like i want something different for my children and that's when i got my shit together and that's when i bought myself some courses on credit and studied and just like fit into this whole topic it was actually great so i just want to highlight this my husband had gone bankrupt 10 years prior to us meeting. And so we had all these books on, right? Start late, finish rich, the millionaire mind, like all those things you can because he had been doing a lot of financial healing and, and understanding himself and mindset and stuff. So all that material was there. And I just, I, I devoted myself to understanding money, sales, mindset, marketing, um, and what I realized this is actually really interesting. So, we, we were doing Airbnb, we were r- renting out spaces in our house because, you know, to pay the bills. And we're really fantastic hosts. We love good food and hosting people. And so, we have like a special badge, you know, on, on Airbnb, we're best hosts and stuff. And um, very often, great entrepreneurs would come through. Like it was an event in Leipzig or, right, whatever. And, um, and I would talk marketing with them. And what I realized that was like, that I'm a really gifted person around sort of like words and messaging and positioning. And they would walk away with ideas and later on contact me and said, like, you know, Meryl actually implemented this and it's, it's, it's gone berserk. Like it's, it's, it's hugely successful. Great. Right? So I decided to, um, to hang out my shingle as a copywriter instead of a coach or a mentor, which I, really wanted to do but also i didn't want to be one of those people was just like i'm a coach you know without a niche and it was like as long as you don't have a niche someone like don't quite know i'm just gonna hang up my shingle as a copywriter and study the shit out of marketing and conversion copywriting and all of those things because whatever i will do down the line i will be able to use those skills and did i ever like that was such a good decision
2: It sounds to me, you know, just from hearing you tell that story, that a large part of your work is m- more about financial healing than it is the actual tactical stuff.
1: It's interesting because I, um, what I believe is that we can replace most of our busy work by making power moves. So it's actually like deep down, we, once we know who we are in the world and we know what it is that do we have to give and we're, we're courageous enough to make some really bold moves every day? I don't think you need a ton of strategy. You need like strategies like the framework, but then you need to fill it in with, you know, just like sheer courage and, and, and creative brilliance. And so I do do the strategy with people 100%. We create something that's absolutely tailored to them. Right. And, and what comes to them most easily. And for some people, some people are fantastic at networking. Right. Some other people are absolutely phenomenal at content creation. Other people are really good at, um, at generating sales. Right. And I think that so many of us try to make businesses work in a way that other people say a business should work. Right. And of course, we run into trouble and because we don't, trust our instincts, right? We sort of drift away further and further from what could have been. Right. And so what I have found working with so many clients and creating so many, you know, like seven figure, multiple seven figure, like alumni my success stories over the years, is that it's really it's more of stripping away and then sort of a, a minimalist building up again around what their true core strengths are than Um, giving them like, here's the system, like do the thing and it will work. Um, yeah. yeah.
2: I I think there is often this tendency to look for that system or that formula to say, Oh, you know, I'll just, you know, replicate this person's result by following their formula. And I'm like, no, there's a variable that's going to throw that whole thing off. Look in the mirror. Yeah. 100%. Um, I mean, like I said, I think the thing that just immediately got me, when I looked at the testimonials on your page, I was just like, whoa, I'm mean, like $60,000 months. you know, people going from six figures in a year to six figures in a month. I mean, things that I had read about so much. So like, what is it that enables that kind of transformation so quickly? Because I mean, it, do, it also doesn't sound like it's this long drawn out process. But I also think that there's a tendency for people to look for quick fixes you know, I, there's an entire book um, called The Quick Fix, which is all about sort of people turning to personal development for some sort of silver bullet. Mm. Um, so talk to me about sort of those two aspects of this, because I think that the immediate temptation for somebody to who would land on your website is like, oh, I'm going to hire Marilyn. I'll be rich next month.
1: Yeah. And unfortunately, I've had people like that. And then, of course, it doesn't work. And then there's, you know, some some resentment as well. And, you know, I've over the years, like really tried to refine um my ability to spot somebody who's ready for this work because basically what i help them do is become so incredibly courageous right it's like literally replacing all of that busy work all of that like static that's just like you know buzzing around us right with like oh you could do this we could do that right all of all of that and just saying like like who are you why are you here what's your life's work? right? And, and just, and just really asking those questions that for a person who is ready for that, right? For them to, to just, it's, it's a, um, how would I describe that moment? It is a very often realizing that they already have everything they need. If they just slightly tweak this one thing and they do a little bit more here and they really, you know, like, become gutsy in this one particular area and like it just goes boom, right in the most beautiful way. Like it just explodes. Yeah. So I would say that people who are ready for that often, you know, are are really clear on on their life's work and also sort of just, you know, has, has had have had experiences like either in corporate where they were successful, so good success habits. Right. You were asking me before, like how did you know being an artist like teach me like habits and routines right but it's 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 um you know high performance right it's basically what Mm -hmm. it is so people who come to me who already have those like high performance um sort of um routines and practices in place they know what it is that they do they know what it is that they want they're no longer willing to go through life not having it those are absolutely perfect right and 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 i'm
2: guessing they don't need to be motivated because like this is You know, one of those things is I'm like, you know, I, I can't stand people who need to be motivated. I'm just like, yeah, I'm not for you.
1: I'm the same way. I just like, if you are not a high performer, then you probably should not work with me. Like all those people with all those success stories, they, they are, you know, either people who were really successful, um, in, in, with an academic career or they were successful in corporate or they were successful artists or kind right, of creative profession or sports, right? So I am not the person for you if you need me to motivate you. I just, I just, I'm like, if you don't want it enough, then I cannot instill that in you. But if you are, this is the time in my life that I'm going to make this happen, right? There's like, they're hell bent. Yeah. Then, then I'm the perfect person. I'm literally like, like looking at the constellation of all the, all the things that they bring to the table. We just create those minor little tweaks and, 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 and adjustments mm-hmm. and, and everything just starts working together. So I'm really good at sort of seeing the landscape and how it fits together. I can, I can see people very, very clearly. I'm an excellent listener, so I just pull it out of them with the right questions and then literally sometimes it takes 10 days for them to to start bringing in like some very very serious money.
2: Wow. Um so when, you know it's funny you say this cuz i i had a friend uh, one of my best friends and i was like sure, I mean i'd be a terrible coach. I'm like I don't give a fuck about people's problems. I'm like I just want to <laughs> provide solutions. Yeah. And i'm like I'm not interested in hearing about their emotional bullshit or baggage and somebody emailed me recently and said to yeah, you know, want to do someone on one work with you. And I was like, well, listen, man, I'm like, I don't really do one on one work. So um, there are a couple of things you should know. One, I don't give a fuck about your feelings. I don't give a fuck about your problems. I don't want to hear about them. Yeah. But what I will tell you is how to make shit happen. And often I will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And I remember I put this on Facebook as a post as say, you know, like what I jokingly called no bullshit coaching. And my friend Charmaine was like, honey, that should literally be word for word, the copy on a landing page for your coaching services. And I was yeah. like, that sounds obnoxious. This guy ended up hiring me.
1: It's amazing, right? And this is yeah. the thing. It's, it's like we, I think, you know, that that is a moment of, of, of courage, right? For you, like truly owning who you are and it attracts the people for you right? I'm, I'm, yeah, I, would I was, was kind of
2: surprised. It was just like, oh, okay, yeah. so this is how I filter by telling you I'm not a therapist. I'm not a life coach. I don't want to hear about yeah. your problems.
1: Yeah, exactly. I would say I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit softer in the sense that, you know, it's not that I don't care about people's problems. I'm very good at helping yeah. people make sense of why it's still a problem and how it's holding back mm-hmm. and how they can change that. But then if they don't have the, the capacity or the willingness to actually go and make the change, then I'm like, yeah, then I don't know what I can do for you, right? And I think this is often like where I think the coaching industry just plunges straight head like headfirst into codependency, right? Where uh-huh. the coach or the mentor or whatever starts to, to actually work harder than the client's I don't think that's right. I don't think that's the right dynamic. Um, it's That's not how I think you create the, the kind of breakthrough results that you see right on my website. Um, they have to have the willingness to work through the hard shit and keep, keep on getting up like I'm picturing, you know, scenes from movies where somebody's just continuously like beat, beaten into the mud, right? Like face down and just continues to get out. Right. You need to have, um, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> you need to have that attitude if you, you want to be successful as an entrepreneur. And then, yeah, there, of course, there's like the ease that you can build in, right? And, 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 and the downtime to, right? Go into your creative, like, sort of cave and come up with the next iteration of your work and, right? All of that, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's not being, I, I'm curious how you would, phrase this distinction because it's not about being hard on yourself it's just being um understanding that sometimes the kindest thing you can do for yourself is give yourself a kick in the butt
2: yeah no i mean so it's it's funny you bring this up because i you mentioned sort of that idea of ease and i think that we've almost oversold this idea of ease with so many of these books of like oh live this stress-free life full of money and power and fame and i'm just like no Reality, like yeah. they, you know, I think that there is almost. Yeah, you know, I I like Ray Dalio's work a lot because I think he's mm-hmm. very pragmatic. There's, yeah. I think that this is, you know, Annie Duke has this new book out uh, out called "Quit: The Power of Knowing When to Walk Away." Um, I love it. Which I is, love it. Yeah. yeah, I'm. It, it's on my top ten list. I'm talking to her tomorrow, and you know, she said one of the problems that we have is that optimism unchecked by realism is what leads people astray and i think that that's where this sort of persistence you know runs into trouble where it's like oh okay you literally have no advantages and you brought this up earlier it's like what are you good at um as opposed to you know trying to do something because somebody says you should do it in a certain way even though you have no ability to do that well and persisting at it it's kind of like a fool's errand
1: it is yeah and unfortunately right like like sometimes I see people uh, and, and I, I can unfortunately like, really see that they're not stellar at what they do. Right. Yeah. And, and there's, there's nothing I can do for those people. And right? I, I always tell them, right. It's like, there's they're just, right? There's not a high enough level of mastery or there's not a high enough level of, of uh, clarity. It's right? so I'm really, really good at positioning and, and, you know, what yeah. kind of words to use and stuff like that. But, you, you have to be able to build it around something that you know, a body of work that is already. And people don't in, want to hear that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's it's. But I I love pragmatic, um, you know, people, authors, thinkers. Um, I, I I think it's much kinder, right? It's it's for example, um, you know, for me, just a realization that you know life isn't fair. Mm-hmm. right? I actually find it extremely helpful. Um, yeah. because now I can stop being in a story around, like, but that wasn't fair. And, and, oh no, wait, it's actually, it's about money and power and maybe sex and, you know, um,
2: well, I think we also don't like to admit at all that luck plays a role in certain things. There's this, this sort of, you know, story that we sell. It's like, oh, everybody who, you know, worked their asses off you know, get successful because they work their ass off. And it's like, wait a minute, you're not accounting for luck. I mean, Paul Graham writes about this in his um, essay on wealth, where he actually says, he was like, outliers are not good role models. He's like, people look at Bill Gates and look like, you know, and they forget that he was the beneficiary of one of the most, you know, spectacular blunders in the history of business with IBM selling that OS to him. Yeah, You know, he's like, would Bill Gates be rich? Yes. Would he be, you know, he's one of the rich. richest people in the world today? No. Yeah. You know, if that hadn't happened. Yeah. You know, he said from that point on, all he had to do was execute. And I think that we like to gloss over those parts of these stories.
1: It's, it's, I think, honestly, what I often find is that people are looking to simplify the reality that we live in when really it's a complex cluster of luck, of, of privilege, of great, like so many layers. For example, um, you know, my, my husband and I, um, He's he is an agricultural heir, right? Like he had 160 acres and, and a house on it that was literally that we could just move on to, um, you know, that that literally like overnight lifted us from, uh, you know, poverty to um, to to living living somewhere beautiful where we could literally grow our own food and raise our kids and all that stuff um, without having to pay mortgage, right? I mean, context, context please right and i i share these stories because people sort of look at me and they go like she's that magical creature that despite being constantly pregnant over the last seven years and moving across the globe and bloody bloody blah, blah, blah right is making millions of dollars And it's like well yeah but also my husband basically works in my company i do not cook my own meals he does um like we, we have a shit ton of support we were able to move into a house without you know, having to pay a mortgage um context matters enormously um and and here's what i believe i think instead of like looking at other people and go like well if they can do it i can do it or if i do it like them then i will succeed too you have to have almost like a relentless pursuit into like the very fabric of, of your own identity. Radio right? what I often find is that the, the, the gems that, that sort of catapult us into that next level, right, are in, in the shadows of our own psyches, right? And and it is it is where, where there is like a wealth literally of of ideas and expressions and creative ideas and all the stuff, right? So it's like more than anything, find it within yourself, go look within you, right? But of course it's not a trodden path, right? It Mm -hmm. is completely like, like adventuring into the unknown, um, that I'm personally like extremely committed and devoted to, like it's, it's in my daily practices to, to, to sort of venture into, into that landscape of my, right? My inner wild landscape. And, just go walk around in there, right? Instead of of constantly looking outside of ourselves for the answers, because this yeah. is also how you become absolutely unique in the marketplace. Right? For example, I don't know anyone who creates like all these wealth poems. Like I just I I love creating them because I think it speaks. You know, considering that so much of of you know what is considered mindset and right? How how our decisions are impacted, like lived within our subconscious. And I'm like, okay, well, let's speak to the subconscious, right? Let's, let's create poetry, which is way more sort of speaks in, in like images and conjures up entire like worlds, like within, right? Those words rather than, you know, creating more how-to content, right? But it's, Mm -hmm. it's not something I've seen other people do. Um and that sets me apart, right? Like one one of the ways that I'm that I set myself apart and also I think um things like um right the fact that I've read hundreds and hundreds of erotic novels in the last couple of years and I share about that very openly. And right there's just things about ourselves that are so unique. It's like everything is already there, right? This whole pursuit of how do I position myself as differently or like different in my marketplace or become like a sort of an original or category of one it's like you gotta go inward and that's scary because Mm -hmm. you might run into well what if i'm not different or what if i don't like what i find right but then there's therapy
2: well you know it's funny because i've been hammering context so much that i'm working on a a new book idea titled everybody's full of shit including me which is all about context (laughs) um but one Question I have about this is, you know, when people come to you, how much of this is about mindset? I mean, these are already people who are motivated. Clearly, they've already been successful. You know, because I, I think there's this sort of misguided tendency, particularly in personal development literature and mm-hmm. a lot of the prescriptive advice, to think, okay, I'm going to just you know create this vision board and you know sit on my ass and you know imagine being rich, and then one day money's going to fall from the sky. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously you and I both know that's not reality. So, you know, and yet the people who come to you I doubt are anywhere near like that. So how much of this is about changing their mindset?
1: So I i don't love the word mindset. I think uh it's it's really tricky because you know, very often what's what's talked about as mindset is actually where, like people say, like, I have an awesome mindset. It's like, no, I actually have a lot of privilege, right? It was just a yeah. little bit easier for you than it was for many other people. And um, but what I do believe in is is neuroscience right the fact that um, we can have pathways in our brain um, literally through you know uh, or because of our lived experience right like, like who we are um, what our parents taught us to believe about the world and about reality and stuff like that right and, and all our own life experiences and, you know there there can be instances of of deep shame that are, you know, that go on process of, or, right. Traumatic experiences And they, in, they literally impact like the very fabric of, of our gray you know, gray matter, green matter, gray, gray matter inside of our brains. Right. So, um, what I think, I, I mean, I'm, I'm getting started with this again. I think it's time also for, for my next level and some, some nudges and some urges, um, But, you know, when, when I was making no money whatsoever and I was like, why would I believe in myself that I can do this? Right. I look at my mom and she, she tried and tried and tried and she failed and look at my grandma and she tried and tried and tried and she failed. Look at all, like I look at my husband and he, you know, he's not very financially successful and blah, blah, blah. It was just like surrounded by so much, um, Prove how hard this is, that it's really unlikely to happen. I literally, have people say that to me, right? I would sometimes say like, "I'm going to start an online copywriting business," and they would like laugh in my face. And um, so, what we started doing was um, doing this like Joe Dispenza meditation uh, a couple times a week. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but um, he has a, he has some really good meditations, and um, we were literally devoted right that's that word again to rewiring whatever was necessary to rewire in order to right even perceive the opportunities right to even feel um um, worthy enough to right put myself out there i remember like basically i started my business and within six weeks it was it was a success and i was invited on panels to be an expert it was like it was insane. I was, I literally uh, remember, um, I bought the copy Cure, uh, which is Laura Belgray and Romeo's uh-huh. program on copy. So it's a copywriter and they were doing, uh, pop-up events, um, where they were just uh, giving my feedback and I just inserted myself. I just started giving people feedback as if I was part of, of the team. And, uh, you know, it personally message me, I received a message from Marie, received a message from Laura. Um, saying how much you appreciated it and they gave me a shout out. And I got hired by so many people after that, right? Because of the transfer of, of authority. Um, and that was literally weeks into me starting my business. But I I was, I had the guts, right, to, to do that. It was a huge risk. They could have said like, who the fuck are you? And why are you thinking? <laughs> like, what makes you think that this is, you know, welcome behavior, right? Um, but I did it and I think that's really what I've done ever since. It's cultivating these acts of courage, these acts of audacity and, and, and all of a sudden, even if you are great, you don't have a ton of childcare and you have young kids or you have caretaker responsibilities or you have some kind of diagnosis yourself, like you will be able to create so much momentum so incredibly fast. But it does mean that you have to start to explore, like, what do I fear? Why? Who am I being? And, right, do some people call that mindset? Yeah, some people call that mindset. Because I'm a very pragmatic person, I'm like, well, you know, let's just start working with what's in our brains and how we can start to shift that.
2: Yeah, wow. Well, I want to finish with two final questions. I want to bring us full circle back to something we alluded to earlier, and this was risk tolerance. And the only reason this is fresh in my mind is because I'm recording my uh, Creativity Hour episode with my friend Gareth. And anytime I don't have an idea, I just go into my database and go, like, yeah, what can we talk about? Let's go. Let's talk about risk. Um, okay. And you mentioned this earlier. And one thing that I have realized is there's something really interesting about risk is that there's times in your life when you have a high capacity for risk with very little to lose. And the irony and the paradox of it is that the very things that get you everything you want involve taking big risks. And then you get to this point where you have all those things and it actually decreases your ability to take risk as you take on more responsibility. So for example, I'm a single guy, like I can take risks that you can't, and yet you probably have more money than I do, so you can take risks that I can't. So how do you think about that in terms of, um, you know, like stages of, of risk tolerance and not losing it, but at the same time, maintaining your capacity for intelligent risk, not just recklessness.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that, um, oh, my God, I have so many thoughts. I can't wait to listen to an episode. Very, very curious. Um, but you're absolutely right, right? Like, I, I, have, I have a lot of money. Um, and because of that, I can take certain risks and, and stuff like that. But it, I also have a lot of responsibility. I have three young kids, right? the things all the expenses and everything that comes that comes with having a family um i would say that we have to emphasize more i do this a lot with my clients it's like what is the feeling of taking raid like like um like a high quality risk is what i would call it Right, so not a reckless like, right? Let's let's just make some moves, but like a well well thought out strategic, but sort of high higher risk move. What does that feel like? Because it feels different than the reckless one. So right, so I can sort of go through my days and go like, I have not felt that sensation for a while. I've become sort of a little bit like docile, where like, you know, sort of like we're right? just like a little bit too relaxed, right? In, into sort of this this world of like wealth and overflow that we've created for our family. Um, so I I go for the sensation where I create sort of moments for myself where where I can go like, do did I feel just now the way that I used to feel when I just started and I was making some of those really big old moves? And then, um, then I can I can go like, yeah, this is what it feels like. So it's not so much like, is this a high risk big move, or is this a, like, is this the one, or is this the one? It's like your body actually sometimes knows better than than your right reasoning. Um, so it's just like cutting through the bullshit, if you will, and just and just literally go for right, the somatic experience of this is what it feels like when I take risks. That I know are well thought out, right to an extent, and, and more than anything, right, taking taking courageous uh, action that makes me feel proud about myself, right. There's sort of like a rush, a certain like cocktail of, of of hormones that's probably released, right, in your body. And if you if you have sort of an awareness of what things feel like, what it feels like when. You know, you're making a really solid connection with someone, for example, right? Like something that you feel like this is going to be right, a great friendship or collaboration that's going to uh, be be still there years from now. That that has a certain feeling. Same thing with risk. The same thing with, you know, all the other things, right? Making sales feels a certain way. Making sales moves. So when you start to cultivate and become really keenly aware of what it feels like, you can go straight to, did I feel? feel like that today rather than did I do all the things on my to-do list, which is usually not the path towards, you know, true productivity and and excellence and, you know, performance. Uh, So it's creating shortcuts, basically.
2: Wow. Um, Well, this has been mind-blowingly cool and gotten in so many interesting directions. So I have one final question for you, which is how we finish all of our... What do you think it is that makes somebody do something unmistakable?
1: Honestly, think it's it's in the area of sort of like the willingness to do what feels right, even if you're not liked for it. Sort of like that willingness to be rejected, that willingness not to be liked, that willingness to not be understood, and to do it anyway, and to keep saying it, and to keep being visible with it, and say this is this is what I believe in, right? So. I think most of us, right, if we turn it around, lose the the, the, the chance to be truly unmistakable because we want to be liked, because we want to fit in, because, right, the opposite, if that doesn't feel safe. And, and you know, we started our conversation also with, like, you know, sort of stability versus creativity, I think it was. And for me it, it, it is within that area. And I think it's really important to to keep not just reminding people around me of this, but also myself, right? Because sometimes I say things and people don't like me at all. they might block me and they might right, like say things about me. Um, but then also people message me and they say, Thank you for saying that first. Right? This made me want to actually engage you as, as, as you know, as my mentor. Great. So giving up the willingness to, to be liked, to be palatable, I think is where the magic is.
2: Yeah. Amazing. Um, Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story and your wisdom and insights with our listeners. Um, Where can people find out more about you, your work and everything that you're up to?
1: Yeah, so they can definitely go check out all of those success stories on my website, Uh You can follow me on Instagram. I do a lot of beautiful content there as well. So simply my name, come find me, send me a DM, say hello. Very approachable. I always love it when people reach out to me. And I have um, a Facebook group called Wealth on Your Terms um, for more insights on sort of, you know, I love sharing behind the scenes, like what I'm up to, what I'm thinking, what I'm developing. Um, so you can definitely come
2: and find me there as well. Amazing. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that.
4: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus,